Conversation, live from Nicaragua. Dive deep into the world of coffee with co-founders of Twin Engine Coffee, Andrea Wolverton and Colin Ganley. Welcome to Brewing Conversation, Season Zero, Episode One. My name is Andrea Wolverton. And I'm Colin Ganley. And the subject of today's episode is uh, how did we come up with the idea of starting Twin Engine Coffee? Because six years ago, there was no such thing, right? Right. So in December, we, we picked a technical date. We'll be celebrating our fifth anniversary as Twin Engine Coffee. Um, when we did our first major twin engine coffee sale, our founder sale, actually, right? Just forgot about that. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, we're celebrating our fifth anniversary and want to talk about how we got started. But it didn't really, it, it wasn't clear six years ago that we were even going to have a coffee company. I mean, there was a good chance that we were going to be making soup or right. so this baby is... food or something like that, right? I mean, that's what you want, really that was your initial idea was that that we should do that right so that's this is where the contention is was this a thought out plan that we knew every step of the way what we were going to do or was it more organic than that and so we were living in italy at the time we were in rome right and um we we're drinking a lot of coffee and in this is my recollection i think you disagree with this a little bit but we were we were there, and at that time I owned the magazine, and you were working for the United Nations. And every day when you would come home from work, picturesque bicycle ride back from work, it was a great. But then you would come into the house, and you would see me sitting there in comfortable clothes, petting our dog, and sitting in front of my computer with my feet up. And I think that you got a little jealous. I mean, I yes, no, I do not remember it that way. <laughs> Your immersion into the coffee culture may have imprinted on you in a way that made you want to start a coffee company. What I remember is um, all the work that I was doing with the UN. I mean, there's definitely the social or the um, work aspect. I don't think either one of us was cut out to be in a classic boss hierarchical work situation. But my work at the time, I was working in sub-Saharan Africa and Kenya and Nigeria and Ghana. And the work that I was doing was just saying, whoa, there's so much to be done um, in these countries. They have great products. And um, there's a there's a few stories that, that stand out. But I just kept saying um, to myself, somebody needs to be doing some on-the-ground entrepreneurial work. And and then, of course, I had you as my partner, who's the, would you consider yourself a serial entrepreneur? No. Project I, lover? No, I would not. I would consider myself super focused and uh, <laughs> not at all flighty. No, I mean, is that what serial entrepreneur means this day? Means uh, these days? I don't know. I, guess, I think it depends on how successful the businesses are. <laughs> So, I mean, loving to think of projects and bring them to fruition. I do like coming up with an idea and, and executing it. That is that is true. Yes. And sometimes those businesses have gotten launched and become successful. And then I moved on to the next business idea. So, yeah, that's my sort of fatal flaw in business, I suppose. But so let's go back because what I want, I want people to understand um, how how we ended up sort of deciding without actually doing any of the work of it, but just deciding to start Twin Engine Coffee. So, and I, and I didn't have that name at the time. It was just start a coffee company, right? 
right? Right. So, I mean, I guess I'd like to tell the the two ideas that kept coming up. So I'm, where am I? So I was in Kenya interviewing farmers and in well, development. You were, you were visiting. Oh, right. So I was working. Because you lived in Italy. Right. I lived in Rome with the UN and all my work was heavily in East and West Africa. And so I was going, I was traveling there um, pretty regularly. And so in Kenya, the work was working with farmers. Um, the buzzword is smallholder farmer. And it is about trying to, well, basically just trying to help them support themselves in a sustainable way. And so the work is always about production, 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 production. And the reality is it's all about being able to add value and move past commodities. So the pressure is for them to produce commodities. And then somebody like Jamie Oliver then takes the commodity and turns it into some fancy thing and makes 10,000% margin on it. Right. I mean, because the restaurant, as I think we all know, um, has the highest margin. The, the cup of coffee is the highest margin coffee in the world, no matter what coffee it was made out of. Yeah, the guy who puts um, the water in the coffee is the one who makes the most money. Right. And so, so then I was in doing a really cool supermarket project in Kenya, or sorry, in Nigeria and Ghana, and interviewing all over these markets, these great massive African markets, and interviewing sellers and interviewing um, students, all different age groups of the urban population. And, and what was interesting is I was talking, I was sitting in these markets, and the sellers were saying, well... Like, what's your most greatest selling product? And they'd be like, oh, the, the cornflakes or the toothpaste from England. And I was like, what? Why does it need to be from England? And they're like, well, because we don't trust products that are made here. So the, one of the biggest issues that's never discussed is the lack of trust over the years. So these countries, colonial countries, as Colin, this is German, more more your area and the economic history, but they were exporting virtually all of their high value products. And then in the country of consumption, they would be transformed and then ex exported back to the country. So you'd have Cadbury chocolate in Ghana, which has this beautiful cacao. And I'm thinking, oh man, well, um, now's, the, now's the time. People are starting to change and there's more middle class, and so now's the time to be able to do something about this. Yeah, because in those in the countries that produce the the, uh, the raw materials, like the cacao, for example, now all of a sudden the buying power in those countries is is so much better, and, and people can buy bars of chocolate or or whatever the finished good is that's made from those raw materials. So yeah, now is kind of an interesting time. Well, I don't want to get into the 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 history part of it right in this subject because we're trying to talk about how we started this company, right? But yeah, it is a really interesting time in these traditionally poor uh, countries, countries that are considered to be poor, less developed economies, because the buying power is so much greater than it ever used to be. So yeah, the the premium coffee in the in our example, or the um, the chocolate bar, or you know whatever it happens to be, tires, or you know things like right. that, are are now all of a sudden there's a there's a market in that country, whereas. In the past, you would sort of, people would export a product that they had no use for in the local market, but somehow in Europe or wherever the final market was, they would find a use for right. it, whether so, it's rubber or mace or whatever. So I'm, you know, coming back from these trips and just with this entrepreneurial man, like really believing the only way forward is if small, if you get some organic 
entrepreneurial spirit in these countries for development. Like it's really the only way forward or else it's always going to be large company movement. And so just really getting long-term development. And there's, there's Colin making his path in uh, with an entrepreneurial spirit. And this, I guess those forces, I mean, they collided. Once my contract was clear that we weren't going to stay in Italy, we started to really think seriously about doing well, they something offered, different. They, they offered to let you stay and, and, and give you a new contract. But by that point, I think you had decided that you wanted to become an entrepreneur for better or for worse. I mean, yes, it sounded right. And <laughs> we're, we're laughing because, well, man, um, I, I was just being a guest lecturer at a MU class and I was saying um, ignorance. There, there's a lot of ignorance is bliss on this side of entrepreneurial endeavors. So you, you decided that you wanted to sort this is my recollection. I know you can test this and feel free to. But my recollection is that you decided that you wanted to do something entrepreneurial and particularly you wanted to do something in your passion, which is food, and that you wanted me to be a part of it. Right. So I was convinced that the missing products in developing countries where the middle class was growing were was a healthy, rapid food option. And I was convinced at the time that that was soup, ready-made soups or ready-made uh, baby food that was healthy and easy to get and affordable and made there in the country. And that scared the crap out of me <laughs> because all those things, as soon as, as soon as you said those things, all I thought was those are all perishable. <laughs> and if we make baby food and we don't sell all of it or soup or whatever the perishable item is, that it's sitting on the shelf, rotting, you can't sell it and adios business. Right. So right. that was my gut reaction. Like on a very emotional level, I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot go down this path. I was freaked out. So we, we were talking about it. I told you about what my what my thought was about that. And but you you were really passionate about it. So we tried to find something that we could agree upon. Yeah, so at the time, also not really not understanding really at all how much investment goes into a food product, a perishable food product, having an idea of what it can do, but not really understanding it. And then there was the Nicaragua, where are we going to go and why were we coming? Here? Well, yeah, so we were, we're both from the United States. We both have U.S. passports and we were living in Italy because of, because of your job. But if you didn't have that job anymore, then we couldn't stay, uh, living and working in the EU without going through a huge bureaucratic mess. And we were ready to go on and do something else. Because of my work, I was traveling to Latin America a lot. So I was visiting Nicaragua, Cuba, Honduras, Mexico, Brazil, and the Dominican Republic on a regular basis at that point for my work, which we'll get into in a different episode. And what we realized as we were sitting having these conversations, we would always go to the cafe around the corner in um, in Campo di Fiori or somewhere around there, Piazza Navona, different places around where we lived in Rome, we would sit there and we would drink coffee and we would talk about these ideas. And at some point, I guess we could sort of look down at the cup of coffee and thought, well, these countries that I've been visiting have some of the world's best coffee. And perhaps there's something we could do there because coffee is kind of like food. So I thought maybe, <laughs> maybe you'd be interested in it from that perspective. We both like coffee a lot. And I don't remember who came up with that idea or if it was just sort of a together thing or, or whatever. Well, it started to grow over time. I mean, at first it seemed 
oh, wow, like you've got to, it's going to be really, really expensive. The investment into machinery, uh, we really started to think how, well, on my side, anyhow, I was thinking, oh my, like you have to, uh, what does this entail and could it be done? And so that's when we started chipping away at what, what does it really take? Yeah, trying to figure out all the little pieces like, what is it going to cost to set up a roastery? What is it going to cost to buy the first year's uh, supply of green coffee? How are we going to find the the best farms in whichever place it was? And that's kind of where, where Nicaragua became really attractive to us is because I'd been coming here for a decade at that point. And we're in Nicaragua right now. That's where we live, uh, where Twin Engine Coffee lives as well. And when we were talking about this, we thought... You know, if we're going to move to another country, it would be useful if we knew people there. And so Nicaragua really jumped out to us for that reason, because we do have a lot of friends here. And we did have a lot of friends here uh, back even back then. Because of the work that I was doing, the, we were in touch with a lot of business owners in a, in a part of Nicaragua called Esteli. And we knew that those people could sort of be, to some degree, to whatever degree it was, a bit of a friend group, a support system advisors when we had questions about how to do things here, or at least that was the theory. We hadn't jumped into it yet, but when we were thinking about it, that was a, that was a key factor for us, as well as the livability of the country. Right. So we can get into later more about Nicaragua. So fast forward, we, um, I mean, the logistics of moving here are um, a whole episode on to themselves, but um, so we arrived in Laon. Um, in Leon, Nicaragua. And so we decided that that was probably our best bet and we should go down that path, right? Like we weren't a hundred percent sure that we were going to start a coffee company. I know we're going to discuss this because I think we remember it differently, but, but we decided that we thought there was enough of an opportunity in Nicaragua, probably with coffee, maybe with something else that we should move from Italy, rent a house here, buy a car, Right. And try something. Right. Well, because also at that time, there was just, and there is still, we can talk more about later about what Twin Engine Coffee is about, but there's such a disconnect between where coffee is grown and where coffee is consumed. And so it just seemed like such an obvious opportunity to be able to connect those. I mean, I, I can't think of any food trend more popular today than to really know people who are growing your food. And the thing about coffee, you know, and, and, and we're definitely questioning, trying to get people to question this. There, I mean, unless you're drinking quite a bit of Kona coffee, there's just no coffee grown in the U.S. So you will never be, I mean, if you're in, well, Collins from Minnesota, I'm from Missouri. Those states are never going to have a local coffee. So we wanted to give people the opportunity to really know people who were doing it and not just some, you know, some picture of some farmer that, that you don't know, but really be a connection. So we saw an opportunity um, and had a hunch that you could really get the good stuff here in country as opposed to what was being, what we suspected was being blended in the U.S. Yeah. So that's kind of wraps up this subject of uh, the spark of the idea. How did we come up with the idea of starting a coffee company, which would later become Twin Engine Coffee, and to, to move to Nicaragua? 
so thank you for listening and hope you join us for episode number two. This has been Brewing Conversation with Andrea Wolverton and Colin Ganley. Thank you for listening. For more connection to coffee and Twin Engine Coffee, go to TwinEngineCoffee.com or email us. We'd love to hear from you.